Um, This morning, I want to make a case for the truth that what is best for our families and for our church and for our children is that we worship together as families. Now, before I get to this, I want to uh, preface this sermon this morning with three things. Uh, First of all, this is a topical sermon alert. I want to warn you that this is not going to be what uh, has uh, been the norm here for uh, us as a church and for myself as a pastor who is convicted that expository preaching is the best way to preach the word. Uh, We're going to take a pause this morning. Uh, Next week we will begin our our, our restart, our sermon series in Genesis that we began at the beginning of the year. Uh, But today we're going to take a break and we're going to address this particular topic according to Scripture. Uh, And the reason for that is, uh, this was not something that I had planned on doing at the beginning of the year, uh, but that leads me to the second preface to this sermon. Over the past several weeks, uh, past couple of months, uh, in talking to uh, leadership of our our children's ministry, uh, it has become very clear to me uh, just that the Spirit is leading and in the providence of God that it is time for our church to have this discussion. And this has manifested itself in and through uh, the fact that we are not going to be having Calvary kids this summer. And so if you're a visitor uh, here, our children's church, if you will, uh, usually happens during this time. So we come to the preaching, uh, the kids who are kindergarten through second grade will leave and they go and have a time for themselves. And it is my desire then as, as your pastor and, and along with the children's team that when we come to the fall uh, that we no longer continue to have Calvary kids. Now I want to lead then to the third preface and that is this, that we will continue to have nursery uh, provided. And so as we walk through this, I want to make sure you're, you're hearing clearly uh, what, what the direction is in this. We will continue to offer nursery during the worship service for uh, birth through kindergarten. And so um, that, is, that is our desire to continue to do that. We would encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, but in this conversation that I did not necessarily desire to have at this time, that God just brought uh, before us to have this conversation, I sense that it is time for us to consider uh, something very important. So here, here's the case I want to make to us today as a church, and it's this. Worshiping with our children is the primary means in which we point them to Christ. Um, there are endless things that we can and should do during any given week as parents and as a church to point our children to Jesus. Uh, We pray with our children. We teach our children Bible stories. In our Sunday school classes and in our children's activities, we pick curriculums and and efforts that point our children to Jesus, and rightfully so. Uh, We are to preach the gospel to our children as soon as they can talk and understand and hear and, and, and understand the words that we're forming. We are to share Jesus with our children. All of these things we can and should be doing. But the primary way we see in Scripture of pointing our children to Christ is by including them in worship. Now, there are really two types of worship in a broad sense. First, we consider all of life as worship as Christians. Uh, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. He says there in Romans chapter 12 that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Everything we say and do as Christians, whether we eat or drink or play, is worship to a holy creator, sovereign God. 
But we also see in Scripture an ordained time that Christ has ordained for his church to gather as a local church, as a covenant community, to worship together in spirit and truth on the Lord's Day. What we do here this morning and each and every week that Christ has ordained for his church to gather in such a way to be about the reading of the word and the praying of the word and the singing of the word and the preaching of the word and the observing of the word and baptism and in the Lord's Supper. No more, no less. And we do this until Christ returns because he has ordained us to do that. And so when we consider worshiping with our children, I want us to consider what it means to worship with our children during the week and then what it means to worship with our children on the Lord's Day. And so I want to begin by saying this. Um, church attendance alone will not create in our children lives of worship. Um, there is this misconception that I see in my parents' generation and still in the church today that if I just have my kids in the pew on Sunday morning, they will learn to follow after Jesus. Um, and I think that we've seen that that is just not the case. If the only time we worship Jesus is on Sunday mornings in the pew, what we're teaching our children is not only that it's not important to worship Jesus, but what we see is that our children are falling away from the faith. The Christian life does not happen in a pew on Sunday mornings. And so the first thing I want us to consider when we think about worshiping with our children as the primary means in which we point them to Christ is this. Worshiping with our children means worshiping as families in the home. Now, before I go any further, for those of you who are newly married and don't have kids yet, this applies to you. For those of you who are, are, are older and your kids are grown and out of the house, this applies to you as well, so don't tune me out. Let's look together at Deuteronomy chapter 6. There is not a command in Scripture that says uh, to do family worship in your home. There, there's no thou shalt do family worship in Bible. But I believe that we see a pattern that is set for us throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of God's covenant people, even into the New Testament, of discipleship and worshiping happening in the home under the authority of God's word. And we see that primarily being charged to the people of God here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So look with me at Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is a tremendous theological truth that is central to all that the nation of Israel clings to. So, the writer here gives a word from the Lord that begins with theology. Look what verse 5 says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And he then gives the application of the truth. The Lord is your God. He is the one true God. Therefore, love him with all that you have. We continue in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Where do we lie down and rise? We do that in our homes. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What we clearly see here in this, in this passage and other parts of Scripture is that discipleship of the coming generation primarily happens in the home. And this is what I like to call family worship. When the family gathers together to sit under the authority of God's word together. Now, 
When I, t- I talk about family worship, if you know my testimony, you know that family worship is very important to me. I've addressed this on, on several occasions, but I understand when we talk about discipleship in the home and family worship, for those of us who didn't grow up in a, in, in a home that did that or has never been taught or seen modeled what it means to do discipleship and family worship in the home, I understand that that can sound scary and overwhelming. But I want to encourage you with something this morning, and that is this, that family worship discipleship in the home is not complicated. In fact, it is quite simple. It's three things. As best as you can, families, each and every day, read the word, sing, and pray together as a family. And that's it. That's all it is. There's no preparation. There's no curriculum. There's no theological training needed, mom and dad, to disciple in this way. And so my encouragement to us as a church and and to myself included as as a father is that we would be moms and dads and families in a church who are committed to worshiping during the week as families, that we would commit time each and every day as best as we can, whether it's the morning, the afternoon, or the evening, to stop for a moment and commit our families in worship to the Lord by simply reading the word, praying, and singing together. So all that we do during the week then is pointing our kids to Jesus and then that culminates in what we do here on Sunday mornings. And so it's not one without the other. We can't just have our children in the pews on Sunday mornings and expect them to worship Jesus. But we also can't worship Jesus on an island. We can't just worship in our homes. What we do together as the corporate body of Jesus in this local church is crucial So firstly, worshiping with our children means worshiping as families in our homes. But secondly, worshiping with our children means worshiping as families in the church. Worshiping with the saints in a local body is crucial to the life of the believer. It is crucial to our understanding of who God is and how he interacts with us as his bride, as his church. It is crucial to our sanctification that you will not become more and more like Jesus on an island. You cannot live the Christian life alone. We are dependent on one another in this covenant community to become more like Jesus. It is crucial to our life of worship. When we gather in this place, we don't just stay in in the four walls of this building. We leave this place in a life of worship in the darkness of this world that we live in, bringing Christ into the world through lives that are committed to glorifying him. But ultimately, when we gather as the church to worship on the Lord's Day in this way, it is to the praise and the glory of God that we gather. Again, he commands us to be about this time each and every week for the praying and the reading and the singing and the preaching and observing the sacraments together. And so in light of the significance of this gathering, our children should be included in this time. Now again, there's no mandate in scripture for this, but we see a pattern throughout the covenant history of God's covenant people of children being included in worship. I want us to turn now to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, and I want us to see here, an example, and we'll look to some other places as well, of children being included in the worship, the, the gathering of the covenant people. Here in Nehemiah, the, uh, the, the people of God have been in exile, and they have been brought back in the, in the providence of God to Jerusalem, a remnant of them to rebuild the wall under the leadership of Ezra. 
And here in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, they finish the wall and the people gather in the square of the city to commemorate this to the Lord by reading the word before the people, the law of Moses before the people. And so in Nehemiah chapter 8, it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men, women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that he had made for the purpose. So here we have Ezra reading the word of God before the entire assembly of the people. Men, women, and children from morning until midday. And the people were gathered there joyfully to do so. I want us to turn our attention then next to Joel, Joel chapter 2, where we see another example of this. Joel chapter 2 in verse 15. Here the prophet Joel is calling the nation of Israel to repentance. And in chapter 2 verses 12 through 17, He is calling them to return to the Lord, and he wants them to do so with a solemn assembly, by bringing the congregation, the people, to gather together for this this time of worship and return to the Lord. And so in Joel chapter 2, verse 15, listen to what the writer says here. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. So we see this gathering of the people and who is included in this gathering. Children and even nursing infants. Now, there's other examples we could go to. Uh, we see this with the feast and the celebrations of the nation of Israel. Uh, when, when Passover is introduced to the people in Exodus 12, uh, we see there that the children are asking the fathers, what is this about? Showing that the children are participating in the celebration. We see the same thing with the feast of unleavened bread in Exodus 13, where the children are asking the father, what is this about? And the, and the father is teaching the child what the significance of this feast is. In Deuteronomy 16, we see the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths, these celebrations, and it says there to bring your sons and your daughters. The gathering of God's covenant people for worship includes their children. Why is this important? Well, it's because the covenant promise of God always has in view the coming generations. When God makes that covenant promise with Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you with a seed who will bless the nations, that covenant promise wasn't just with Abraham's generation. It was for all generations. And so it was for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It is for us today as the church, this covenant of grace. And so in Genesis 17, 7, God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations from an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And so we are to be a people who are looking eagerly to point the next generation 
to Christ. And if we are to point our children to Christ, the best thing we can do is to worship with our children in our homes and in our church. I want us to turn to one final place. Turn with me to Judges chapter 2, just for a moment. Judges chapter 2. Here in Judges 2, we are coming to the end of Joshua's life. Joshua has led the people of God into the promised land with his generation. After a generation that disobeyed the Lord and was not allowed to enter the promised land, Joshua leads them into the promised land. And this generation had seen the the, the Jordan River dried. They saw the walls of Jericho fall. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, notice what it says about Joshua's generation. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Joshua's generation loved and served the Lord all their days. Now watch what happens. Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation, Joshua's generation, were gathered to their fathers. Joshua's generation dies up. What happens to the, uh, dies off? What happens to the next generation? And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. How is it that we can go from a generation who loves and serves the Lord all their days to a generation who does not know the Lord or the works that he has done? They abandon the Lord and follow after the gods of the world. It's because Joshua's generation was not faithful to heed the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to teach diligently to the children the works of the Lord. May this not be said of us and the generation that comes after us. Now, I want to pause for a moment because we need to consider the practical applications at this point. Because if we're honest, it's very romantic to think about gathering in the streets of Jerusalem and the children are there. But if you have ever had kids, you know that nothing is romantic when kids are involved. Here is the reality this morning. Here is where the rubber meets the road. Parents with little ones in the service today, sometimes Sunday mornings feels more like you are drowning than you are worshiping. Wrestling the children, the request from the children, it is more of a wrestling match than anything else. And when Morgan and I, our kids are very young and we have them in church, there was week after week after week where we'd come home and we'd say, I don't feel like I worshiped today. And so the question that we naturally ask is, wouldn't it be better for me if my kids weren't here during this time? Wouldn't it be better for the people around me if my kids weren't here during this time? What I am proposing that we be more and more about including our children in corporate worship is not easy. It is hard. It is stressful. But dear friends, I believe with all of my heart it is worth it. These struggles with little children and pews last for a moment. And I get it right now. You're thinking this is going to last for eternity. When is the preaching over so I can get these kids out of here? It lasts for a moment, but there are eternal blessings in sight when we commit our children to the Lord in this way. 
So I want us to consider three eternal blessings here for a moment. What are the blessings of including our children in worship? First, our children, who are, when they're included in the corporate worship in particular, encounter God's grace. This is the most important time in the life of the local church when we gather in this way to sing and to read and to pray and to preach and observe the sacraments and these ordinary acts of worship that Christ has commanded us to be about week in and week out. These things that we do that the world looks in and thinks is strange. Dunking people in water, eating bread and juice and calling it a body and blood, listening to a guy talk for 45 minutes. These strange, ordinary things are meant by God as a means of grace for his church. Now, not in a Roman Catholic sense where we believe that communion adds to our salvation. No, if you are in the faith today, you have experienced the full weight of the grace of God. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been taken care of at the cross. But as we are looking to be sanctified and looking to become more and more like Jesus, God has ordained for these ordinary means to bring us to that end. And so one commentator in talking about this topic said this, The more we place our children in the way of the means of grace, the better opportunity for their souls to encounter the God of grace. And so we rightly direct our children away from things that harm them. And we rightly put them in the path of things that are good for them. And so we include our children in worship so that they might encounter the God of grace in this place. Secondly, the blessing of including our children in corporate worship is they get to watch their parents worship. Our children watch us. And they learn by watching us. They imitate what we do. Some of you know that I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. It probably does not surprise you that my father was a Dallas Cowboys fan. And that his father was a Dallas Cowboys fan. And that my children, minus one, who shall remain unnamed, (laughs) is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Now, growing up, there was no discipleship course in my home about how to be a Cowboys fan. I learned to be a Cowboys fan by watching my dad on Sunday afternoons yell and scream at a TV. (laughs) And my children have learned to be Dallas Cowboys fans by watching me do the same. Our children watch us and they learn from us and they should watch us and learn by our worship. They will learn by watching us worship as we confess our sins and sing songs and pray and take the Lord's Supper and observe baptism and listen to sermons. All of these things we gather to do as Christian families points the next generation to Christ. Of all the things we do, worship should be at the top of our list. And so there's something profound, too, about gathering as generations for worship. Just look across the room for a moment. There are people gathered in this place from every generation and our children are watching them and this is a declaration to God in our worship that all generations will bow down and worship him. And so when our children watch mom and dad and when they watch the grandparents across the room worship, they are learning that worship isn't just for the adults, but worship is for all of mankind to join in on. Something else to consider here as our children watch us us worship is they also see us at our worst. 
our children see us on the worst days that no one else knows about. They see how broken we are. And when we commit to gathering to worship in this way and our children see that, we set an example of saying, kids, daddy's broken, but I worship a savior who has overcome the grave. And they see that. So may we allow our children to see us worship. The third blessing is this, is that our children are able to hear the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. The word of God is able to speak to the soul of a 7-year-old and a 17-year-old and a 77-year-old. It has that power. Isaiah 55.11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so when we gather to sit under the preaching of the word, there is something that is happening here that is miraculous. Surely there are other ways that we hear the word during the week, in Sunday school, in our Bible study time, at the dinner table. But again, when we gather as Christ's church to sit under the preaching of the word, God is doing something in our midst that is outside of our, our, our power and ability. Martin Luther said this of preaching. He said, when citizen or peasant hears a pastor, he must say, I do indeed hear and recognize the voice of the pastor. But the words which he utters are not his. No, he would be incapable of them. It is the sublime majesty of God that is speaking through him. In Luther's high view of preaching, he believed that when the preacher proclaimed the word of God and exposited the word of God and rightly divided the word of God, that God spoke to his church in and through that time. Now, we need to be careful not to take Luther's quote too far and to say that just because someone is ordained as a pastor that we just need to uh, follow them blindly. As we talked about last week, false teachers stand behind pulpits in suits and ties on Sunday morning. The pastor that Luther has in mind here is the one who rightly divides the word of God. And so when our children sit under the preaching of the word, they are hearing the stories and the themes and the truths and the applications of Scripture. They hear about God and who he is and what he has done, what he's promised to do, the plan of redemption. They hear the gospel proclaimed. And just as they did in the Old Testament, on the car ride home, they will ask you, Mom and Dad, what was that we did today? I've told this story before, but I think it's appropriate here that some of my earliest memories as a little boy, six or seven years old, in the church very vivid memories were sitting in a pew listening to the preaching of of the pastor uh, who baptized me. And, And he was not an eloquent man, but he faithfully exposited the word week in and week out. And as a seven year old boy, I could not ever tell you what the main thesis of the sermon was. I couldn't tell you what the sermon outline was. I wasn't taking deep theological notes, but I can tell you this. I remember clearly through the preaching of the word, the spirit of God drawing me to himself, changing my affections, convicting me of sin, leading me to Jesus just by simply sitting and listening to the word of God proclaimed. And so you've heard me for a while. I hope you know that I have a high view of preaching. I have a high view of scripture. And I believe we as a church affirm the same. 
that we would say as a church that we hold Scripture high. It is our authority. It is sufficient for all things. That we would affirm the preaching of the Word is central to the life of the church. That it is living and active. It does not return void. That it is life. And so what, what I'm about to say is hard for me to say, but I must say it as your pastor. It grieves me when we come to this time where we open the sacred word of God together. That the thing that I say right before I ask you to open the word of God is, okay, kids, it's time for you to stand up and to leave. What does that say to our children about how we view the word of God? Should our children not be included in the entirety of our worship? So I want to close with this. What do we do then to help our children and to help one another in this endeavor to be more and more about including our children in the worship service? Because here's the thing. We can talk about it, but I want to give you tools, and I want to equip you as parents and us as a church to think about this well. How can we practically do this well? And so it's my prayer in the coming months and years that we continue to have this conversation. We're starting it today, but we will not stop having this conversation. And that we can more and more equip parents and families to be about family worship and and including children in worship. So I want to give us just a, a taste of some of these things. What can we do to help our children and to help one another in this endeavor to include our children in the worship? First, and these are very practical, prepare for Sunday. And really, these are things that all of us can and should be doing in our homes. Uh, Talk about Sunday during the week with one another. Growing up, my mom would quote Psalm 122, it seemed like, every single day. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And it was as a little child, just that little thing that my mom did that showed me the importance of the Lord's Day. What can you do, parents, to encourage your children during the week to look to Sunday? Practice family worship in your home as a, as a, as a way to teach our children how to be quiet when we pray and listen to the word when it is read. Also, set your mind on the Lord's Day the night before. This is something the Puritans talked about a lot. That we don't need to prepare for the Lord's Day Sunday morning at 9 o'clock when we're rushing out the door. But that we should start to prepare for worship the evening before. And so seek to get rest on Saturday evening. Lay out the clothes for your family. What can you do the night before to prepare your family's heart and mind for worship? So prepare for Sunday. The second application is engage your children during the service. And so depending on the age of your kids, these are going to look different. But be consistent. Engage your kids. Put your arm around them. Hold their hand. Let them sit in your lap. Talk to them. Tell them what's coming up next. Hey, we're about to sing. We're about to pray. We're about to read the word. Encourage them to sing. As we read the word, point on the page and follow along as we look at the text. We uh, provide children's bulletins in the back. As you come in, you can give your children that to, to write and do what they can as they're listening and watching. As your children get older, teach them to take notes. Exchange your notes during the service. I had one uh, young boy uh, at my former church when I would preach. He would bring me his notes, and they weren't written notes. He'd draw cartoon notes of the sermon. He always had these elaborate pictures that went along with the sermon. Teach our kids to engage in the preaching. Ask them if they heard particular things on the car ride home. Family, what did we learn today as we worship the Lord? And today is a great example of how we can engage our children in worship. As we look in a moment to observe the Lord's Supper, Mom and Dad, I would encourage you, if you're not already doing this, when we pass out the plates in a moment, to lean over to your kids and say, hey guys, here's what we're doing. 
This is what the bread means. This is what the, the, the juice means. Pray over your family. Engage them. But third and finally, the point of application is this, is that we would be gracious and patient with one another in this endeavor. One thing I think about is cries during the service. So this would be a good time to cue up a cry from one of uh, the babies. I love the sound of children crying during the service. This is a joyful noise to the Lord. And so people will say to me, man, pastor, how do you, how do you pray or how do you preach during the screaming of children? And, and the reason is I, the, that I can do that is because it doesn't bother me. I love it. I want us to hear more and more of the sound of children as we worship in this place. And so if it doesn't bother the pastor and distract him from his sermon notes, we can be gracious in that. Not giving people a, a dirty look because their children are crying, but that we would join in the praise of the baby to the living creator, God. Maybe you're a, a family a couple and your children are out of the home and you have mastered parenting, you know all the tricks and all the things to do, maybe you sit with a young family that you see struggling during the service. But parents, be gracious not only to your children and patient with your children, but be gracious and patient to yourself. Don't stress out mom and dad. No one expects your children to be perfect. We should be working for paying attention and being well during the service, but, we're, but there's no judgment in this place. I want you to hear that from me. But finally, we need to be gracious and patient in this, that there are people who are going to take different views on this. And so I said we're going to continue to offer birth through kindergarten, access to the nursery during Sunday morning. We have a, a cry room in the back. If you're not aware of that, just behind these walls, we want to encourage people to take advantage of us. This, here, here's where the grace comes in in this. If you feel led to include your children, no matter what age they are, in the service, and I'm thankful that so many of you already do this, we want to celebrate that and encourage that more and more. But we also understand that not every two-year-old is ready to sit in the worship service. And so if your conviction and your leaning is to, in, to leave them in the nursery, I want you to hear from me, there is no judgment in that. There, there's no looking down on you if that's what you... to are to decide we are going to be gracious in this conversation because it's important. So as I close, I want you to hear my heart. Here's my heart in this. I want us to be a church that does not just settle for good things that all the other churches are doing. I want us to be a church who is healthy and looks to God's word in every single thing that we do. And I believe that scripture points to this, that our children should be included in worship. I want us to be a church who looks to serve all generations well, especially our children. So much of the world and the culture of today is anti-children. The, the world and the culture is anti-children from the moment of conception. And this cannot be so for Christ's bride. In a world where children are seen as a nuisance and a burden, may we be a church who sees children as a blessing from the Lord and looks to engage them and point them to Jesus in all we do. So too many churches in our day, more and more, when the family comes to a campus on Sunday morning, Mom and dad go to their own building and the youth go to their own building and the children go to their own building and they don't see each other again until they get in the car to go home. This should not be so. 
And so I want us to commit as a church to be about a church whose families worship together. Let's pray.